Anything you say, anything you do, good or bad, is gonna come right back on you. The earth keeps spinning like a tilt to where why don't wise men ever wanna rule the world? Got your rich folks here, got your poor folks there, more than enough for the whole round world to share. Like a tilt world Why don't wise men ever want to rule the world? back everyone you're listening to inside out with turner and seth seth why do wise men never want to rule i don't know do you think it's just going for power it's more about power than service today and power is a fool's fool's game is that it maybe i don't know but it's, it's huge though it's huge i mean look at look at what we got now but anyways how you doing man i'm very ah. really excited for the jeff interview we'll talk about him in a minute yes yes long time coming this interview you had a great weekend very interesting weekend did you not i did you know uh well, to start off, my company, Wet, was in two places. One was Canada for Boots and Hearts, and the other was Vertex over in Colorado. So, uh, But I wasn't at either. I was home watching my son and doing some inside-out work with you where we uh, interviewed Sam Bush. It's a quick one, but it was great. A real treat to get to talk to Sam Bush. He's, he's a, a true legend. You know, if we, we could sit down with him for hours. Hours. Maybe next time. Maybe. I will say, though, Rob, that you, you were very well researched for that. Overly researched because you honestly, used about a fifth, one fiftieth of it. Yeah, I mean I, that's that interview. I mean, and I, I've got a rapport with Sam. I, I've I've worked with him often, and um, and uh, you know, I I could definitely shoot the shit with him. But you had you had him going on facts, and you were hitting names, and 
and, and, and not name dropping, but uh, sparking interest in him that I just kind of sat back on that one and put on my seatbelt because we only had 30 minutes and really just want, it was almost like being an observer of my own interview. Hopefully we can talk to him again soon. I hope Absolutely. so. What about you, Rob? What's new with you? What's what's going on in the world of Turner? Well, you know me in the webcast. I watch Lollapalooza. I watch Outside Lands. Fun stuff. Getting into the Foles. Anybody heard of the Foles? I'm a new fan of the Foles. Um, wish I could remember the band Tom Morello sat in at, with at Lollapalooza, but that was fantastic. Jane's Addiction was great. Jimmy Chamberlain sat in with them on Jane Says. Some fun stuff, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. I love those webcasts. Sit on my couch. Don't have to worry about people puking on me or talking over the quiet stuff or dancing too crazy. Although that used to be me, didn't it? It is. It still is. But you know, you, no, I'm, you I'm respectful though. You don't just sit on your couch. Like when there's a when there's a webcast, you tend to come over to people's houses such as mine and just kind of like we had we had a little barbecue and then Rob came over and just put it on the TV. And next thing you know, it's blasting Jane's addiction. I'm like, oh okay, and it was good though. Oh, that was Ethan's request actually. He was. I there. watch a lot at home. I watch. Oh, who was it? He who requested there. it? Somebody know. requested to turn it up. Um, that, that's fine. Um, I'm a little out of it. Speaking of Seth. outside lands. Speaking of out of it. Dr. Teeth, the Muppets. Did you, did you hear about this? No. Uh, the Muppets, like, literally took the main stage. Dr. Teeth, like, the whole, this is... Do they have Jim Henson on a hologram or anything? No, but I, I, I'm curious if this was an announced show or a surprise. I, I never, uh, I just, I literally just saw it on Facebook this morning. Can we get the soundboards? Uh, possibly. Work it, baby. You're in the industry. Work uh, it. Yeah, you got to really, you know, have strings to, to get that. Uh, I saw the Frank Zappa movie, and we're going to talk about it next week. Saw the first Kevin Kinney show, and that looks like it's going to be fun. Yeah, that was good. Um, that so was good. The beginning of his run at City Winery, he's the subject of episode 13, the last one. Yes, that's right. And, um, man, he's giving little tidbits about what's coming. you got to go. City Winery every Tuesday this month. Um, come on out. Yeah, and if you're not here, then uh, maybe we'll get some soundboards and put them out there. And Great Peacock played uh, at the Park Tavern yesterday with Larkin Poe. It's kind of weird how the first band ended early, and then there was a long break, and then Great Peacock, and then Larkin Poe quickly after. It was odd, odd, oddly yeah. run. Yeah, and it wasn't by band's decision. No, not at all. <laughs> they were told, the, well, I won't get into that. Exactly. But, hey, did you see my son Daryl dancing to that? Yes, I danced with him. That's right. That Maybe was, we should put he, that he, on the he, website. It's, I put it, I will, when we have a website, I will, but I put it on my Facebook. He... Uh, it's uh, just, I mean, it's him dancing, doing, he's, I asked somebody uh, this morning, I was like, hey, do you remember last night you had fun? He goes, uh-huh. I go, what'd you think of the band? He goes, I played guitar and drums at the same time, daddy. Where did he get that from? Uh, well, so he has a thing called jazz drums. Uh, I always say, Daryl, you want to play drums? He goes, yeah, I want to, I want to play jazz drums. And he goes, and then, oh, the best part is, so, okay, so after Great Peacock, we're driving home and he's being really good and I was trying to calm him down. So I put on some Wilco California stars. Mm-hmm. And we get Woody home. Guthrie song. Woody Guthrie is it? Yeah, I did not know that. It's from that Mermaid Avenue. Um, so so we get home, and he's like, you know, normally I would read him a story. And it's way past his bedtime, and he's like, I'm like, you know, I'll read you a quick story and you know, go to bed. He's like, can I have five more minutes? I'm like, well, you, I give him a choice. You can have five minutes, or I can read you a story. But if you have five minutes, no story. He goes, he wants five minutes. So we brushed his teeth, got him ready for bed, got him his pajamas, and he and I get gave him his five minutes. And so he goes upstairs, he grabs his guitar, and he goes, Daddy. Can I sing California Stars for you? And I'm wow. like, so now I've got, I mean, it's, it was adorable. So he's just strumming his guitar. He goes, California Stars. <laughs> I've got that on video too. Maybe we'll add that. But he's, yeah, it's, it was really cool. He's such a great kid. Well, I mean, the music. Oh, when, he's, the, when he's behaving. Yeah. The Great Peacock really inspired him though. I really like those guys, even though the set was very similar to uh, Candler Park. And they're going to be playing with Kevin Kinney. I just found out they're going to back Kevin Kinney on a set as well. And yeah, they, they're going to do 30 They minutes. were nervous. 
<laughs> they, they're doing th- well they were nervous but you also I, they were i think they were most nervous about you pulling your shirt off at this show i didn't know oh, at city winery <laughs> no no well at the uh at the park because it's like it's a, well, maybe I, three of them andrew loves it <laughs> the other three probably were appalled but it seems as though andrew loves it because it's enthusiasm uh yes hey so um one last thing. larkin poe is sick dude tell me about them they threw down. It's the it's the two sisters. Uh, they're from Georgia, right near Lake Alatuna, and they have a bass and drums. The one sister plays um, a dobro kind of steel kind of thing, and the other sister, Rebecca, is the lead singer and very energetic. You can tell they love what they do, and they ex- it just exudes positivity, and they want to be on the show and have listened, and um, they're coming to play with uh, Elvis Costello in October. I don't have the exact date in front of me, but hopefully we can interview them there and maybe maybe grab Elvis while he's no, while he's going by. All right. Um, and hey, Seth, I'm, go ahead. You requested something. We're going to get there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now You know, I lost my train of thought now that you said that, but I, 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 we're going to get there. Uh, well, I did want to bring up one more thing. Was um, it the festivals? Because I'm curious about the festivals you're working in Colorado, although you're not. Well, you're working them from here, but you're not on site, of course. Well, Vertex was a first-year festival produced by Madison House in Buena Vista, Colorado. And um, apparently these guys, I mean, the numbers were low. Turnout wise, um, not not what you would want for a first year festival, but uh, they went all out. I mean, the the photos I'm getting and I'm seeing and the reports I'm getting from our staff there, everyone had a blast. The weather was kind of rainy and cold, uh, but a beautiful mountainous scenery uh, and great music. Alabama Shakes, Trey Band um, and you know, et cetera. And it sounded like everyone had a really good time and it was a really solid first year festival. Now boots and hearts in in Canada. Uh, that's uh, I think this is on the sixth or seventh year. And, um, my staff said it was as wild as it always is. Speaking of Alabama shakes, I just heard a song from a band called thunder shakes. Have you heard this? She's already got a side project. Are you serious? It sounded great. I love her voice. Good God. I love her voice. Hey, speaking of voices, Charles Bradley, what's going on with Charles? I don't know. That's, I know you like the band because of the name of his band. Right? Mm-hmm. That's why you like him so much. Do you know the name of his band? Which? The Extraordinaires. Oh. Uh, Extraordinaires. I would think you would tour with them just by the name. Oh, Rob. Hey, uh, speaking of names. Are we going to get into those super uber VIP shows? No way, huh? At Lockin? Oh, at Lockin? I don't know. Maybe. We're going to Lockin. We have media passes, but uh, they're pretty strict about those uber VIP things. Like the, the one year I went, uh, Billy... Billy and the Kids played, and I really wanted to see it, but I, I was afraid to ask because it's like it's a touchy thing, you know. Yeah, well, but there's I, some cool, like Brendan and Jake from Humphreys. I'd love to see that. There's some cool. Um, what are the others? One's a fish thing, right? Yep, uh, Mike Gordon and uh, oh, the bass. Bass, yeah, it's all bass. Steal your bass, right? Yeah, Phil, Mike, and schools. Oh yeah, which could be great, but I, sometimes you get three great people. Could be a train wreck too. You yeah, never but, know. But not a knock on any of those bassists. I love them all. All those guys have played together with Phil. Maybe not if they be at the same time, but Schools has done stuff with Phil. That Mu- doesn't mean the three of them are going to work together as three bases. I mean, it might. Maybe they'll call King Crimson. I mean, they do the multiple base, three base thing sometimes. Speaking of King Crimson, great box set out. Uh, Rolling Stone did an article on it, I believe. Check it out. If you're a King Crimson fan, there is a ridiculous box set coming out. And the other festival. And the other festival, well, actually, we just talked about it, but I do want to bring up Terrapin Beer. They have a new 
our sponsor Terrapin Beer. They just released High 10, which is a mango habanero double IPA in honor, I'm going to guess in honor of Beer Week, or Beer Day was yesterday. Uh, surfs up with their High 10 mango habanero double IPA. It's got, uh, this one is like 9.3%. It's a double IPA and uh, available in uh, you know all of your package stores here in Georgia and elsewhere. But definitely one it's delicious, from, delicious from start to finish, would you say? It's got a little kick to it. It will wake you up. Before you go, go. Anything else before we surprise our fans with something we haven't done in a while? Uh, I think it's time. You know, listen, Rob, at the end of the day, we might as well. That's right. It's Expressions on Tired Expressions. Welcome back, Expressions on Tired Expressions. This week, the expression is... At the end of the day. And at the end of the day, I must say... I've never gotten this one. What is it about the end of the day as opposed to the beginning of the day that makes something more significant or impactful? That is ridiculous. Well, at the end of the day, it really comes down to being able to express that this is important. Listen, at the end of the day, we could talk all about this, but at the end of the day, this is the, it's the final decision. You know, if I'm working all day on something, at the end of the day no. is when it is decided. No, at the end of the day, you're going to get your kid, you're going to have dinner, nothing's going on. The beginning right, of the, the day. But the decision, the decisions, the the. I could decide no, your day's done. I know that I could have decided at 10 o'clock, but at six o'clock at the end of the day is the same decision. So it's the final decision of anything. It's just an empty expression usually used on these news talk shows by pseudo intellectual people trying to sound trying to just use filler as they're trying to think. You know what I mean? No, Another I mean, empty expression. You know, at the end of the day, I got to say, well, that makes sense. <laughs> Uh, so what, what are you trying to say, Rob? No more at the end of the days for people. I just, it just annoys me. I, I don't know. I don't know why we always have to hear it. And um, I don't know. And especially if someone says it in that, what, what do they call it? The draw, the, the vocal fry at the end of the day. At the end of the day. Now you hear a lot of women who, uh, like there's a woman on Rolling Stone, their podcast. There's a woman on the, the, all the promos on the, on the channel, the Alt Nation channel on Sirius. They have they have women with with that all nature. It's like, come on, just talk oh, like right. a woman. Yeah. Don't try to sound like a man. That doesn't make you. What are you doing? I thought that was more of a terrestrial thing. At the though. end of the day, no, no, it's everywhere. Well, at the end of the day, just talk normal people. Well, at the end of the day, maybe they'll have something to say. <sighs> I wish I, when when Sirius started, I thought we were gonna get normal because you know they had the stern thing. I thought we were gonna have normal talking people, and you do. A lot of the classic DJs out of Philly and New York are awesome. Meg Griffin, Michael Tierson, but some of these younger ones <laughs> just have this put on voice, and it's like just just talk, will you? At the end of the day, it's annoying. And on that note. Yeah, that, there you go. <laughs> I, think, I think we took care of that. We're moving on to our interview. Jeff Atchison, who I've been seeing literally since I moved to Atlanta like 17, 18 years ago. Wonderful, wonderful Australian guitarist. Um, his tour starts at Eddie's Attic. That will set out, sell out. It's August 19th. Those always sell out, so get tickets. Uh, JeffAtchison.com slash tour. If you want to check out the tour dates. And he's this interview really goes into a lot of his history. We really talk about some different things you're probably not going to hear in any other interview with him. We really tried to skirt around anything that he's talked about and talk about different things. Uh, we've got some really interesting, interesting subject matter here. Uh, learned a lot. And, hey, you know, it was really awesome for him to play. What do you play, like five songs for yep. us? I mean, five songs, four brand new ones. And uh, we'll hear some. Oh, actually, we're breaking format. We're doing a full song into the interview. Then we'll have a full song in the middle of the interview and a couple more at the end. And then we get a surprise. Really? 
really nice uh, electric track for the end. And I got I just want to make I hold this guy in really high regard. You know, as I get older, I'm less enthusiastic about seeing the same acts over and over again, except for very few acts, and not a lot of them have blues in them at all. And Jeff just has a way of keeping it interesting. You know, he is really, really gifted at um, showing you different looks. Mm, he's got an interesting voice and a, and a really, really solid guitar playing, and he always puts together an incredible. Uh, arrangement of mu- an arrangement. He he brings together some great musicians to play with him. And I love the stories about him coming. That's why I went into it about the first trip to the U.S. when he was a young kid, oh, yeah. and they went into Chicago. Went to the. I, I just I love that. That's stuff. a good story. That's a good one. So without uh, further ado, at the end of the day, oh, we could do without <laughs> further ado too. <laughs> That'd be an extraordinary. That. that would be a, a segment extraordinaire. Hey, hey, you listen to Rob Turner here on the Grateful Dead Radio Channel. <laughs> Ouch! Oh my gosh. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff Atchison, or as Warren Haynes correctly mispronounced, as you'll learn that too, Jeff Atchison. Well, something gotta blow, something gotta give. Many theories about the way I ought to live And they ain't got time for an inquiring mind Infatuated by the rhythm and the rhyme On a highway Halfway between the sky and the dead Dancing on a fine, fine line Trouble on his mind, monkey on his back Head upon a heart attack Building big black mansions Was the latest fashion Heaven knows I love has always been the answer On a highway Halfway between the sky And the dead Dancing on a fine, fine line a tragedy to wish it all away got to keep on moving keep on grooving the better seat between the solar and the lunar only a highway halfway between the sky and the dead dancing on a fine fine line mm-hmm. a highway halfway between the sky and the dirt Dancing on a fine, fine line Fine, fine line Fine, fine line Our guest is a brilliant musician who cut his teeth playing as a member of Dutch Tilders Band in his native Australia. Tilders was a big Bill Brunsey-inspired Australian player who essentially inspired Atchison to in turn begin a career of his own in music. And during a trip to the U.S. almost 25 years ago, Atchison won a heat 
of the Beale Street Blues Society's Blues Challenge, which he had reluctantly entered. He would ultimately win the prestigious Albert King Award at the Memphis International Blues Challenge and go on to win many more awards across the globe, including the 2012 Male Artist, Band, Song, and Album of the Year from the Blues Society in Melbourne, Australia. He has taught guitar at Yorma Kokonan's Fur Peace Ranch for just under two decades, sat in with the Almond Brothers Band during one of their legendary beacon runs, and even lived right here in Decatur, Georgia for a couple of halcyonic years. He has released 17 records on his own Jupiter 2 label, producing them all himself, and has another one slated for a July release, tentatively titled Another Mile, Another Minute. Welcome to Inside Out with WTNS, Jeff Atchison. Thank you, Rob. That was very kind. I'd like to say, uh, for, for sports fans listening, and this will be brief, uh, just to set the time, because we're, we're putting this in the can. You're listening to Turner Sports Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Turner Sports Radio. Back with our sports <laughs> trivia coming up next. But this day, on the day we do this interview, is the day that the uh, U.S. Second Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the Tom Brady suspension, which just means it'll drag on longer. Don't worry, Jeff. He won't miss a game. Okay. It's Game 7 of the Chicago-St. Louis Finals. And also, it's the day the Collingwood Magpies of the Australian Football League took down their rivals, the Essendon Bombers, on Anzac Day. Oh, Anzac Day. Anzac oh, Day. Go, go you. Wow. You're you, a, you have researched. You're a big fan of, of, uh, of the a, Magpies. I'm a black and white man, yes. Do you actually go to the games? Uh, it's very rare that I go to a game, uh, which is very sad. But uh, because they ha- they usually happen on the weekend, that's usually when I'm out working. But I I try to go to a game whenever I can. I'm I'm a big fan. That's Australian rules football. That's what uh, we grew up playing. They play all sorts of stuff now. But when I was growing up, that was football. Australian rules football. That was it. How does it differ from from rugby? It's much better. Okay, <laughs> <And>, you know, <laughs> fair in enough. The, in the states, uh, they would call it a fair weather fan. But you're saying yeah. a black and White. They wear black and white oh, stripes. Oh, I thought that was a difference, yeah. you know, the border, yeah. you know, crossing the seas. No, you just trying to understand the lingo. Okay. No, no, that's the color, like a magpie, the bird. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Oh, so, I'm very impressed with that. Thanks for that. No problem. Mm. I, back in 1993, you were a, a young kid playing in Australia, and a group of musicians came over on a, on a pilgrimage to, the, to go to yeah. key cities in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about uh, visiting the Checkerboard Lounge in Chicago? Ah, uh, that was that was quite an adventure. We, uh, yeah, we went to several different places to check out blues music, and we were very keen in Chicago to visit the checkerboard, the original checkerboard lounge, because we we all had live albums from there. This was Buddy Guy's uh, original club before he got Legends. But it's way down the south side. We got into a cab. We gave him the address, and he just turned around and he said, "He said you what?" And we said, "Yeah, we want to go to checkerboard lounge." He's he's like, "No, no, no, you you boys don't want to go there." And we were insistent, and uh, so he drove us there, and uh, and he parked right outside the door, and he said, "Will you, when you get out of this cab, straight through that door." And we, th- this was we were completely naive; we didn't know what was up. And there was a, yeah, this big burly guy on the door, and he's just looked at us and said, "What are you guys doing here?" And I guess as soon as he heard the accent, and we we said, yeah, "We're just here for the music, mate." <laughs> you know, this is this is a club. You know, this is the place to go to so they they looked after us once they realized we were australians and we were, we were just there for music but it it was a real real eye-opener it, it kind of shattered shattered me inside in a way because for, that was the first time in my life you know I'm, I'm kind of sitting there looking at looking at the color of my skin and thinking is this this what is this what it's all about you know right and uh, but i gotta tell you it was it was one of the best nights of music do you remember I who you saw, saw? uh sil johnson 
was the guy, the legendary Seal Johnson, and he, and he, I wish I could remember the young cat whose whose band was backing him up that night because they were they were just outrageous. It was just beautiful. For you rock fans, this is the room where uh, when Muddy Waters played with the Rolling Stones. Mm. The one time he did was at the uh, Checkerboard Lounge. Mm. Now, can you talk? We we're often talking about how it's important to have mem- mentors, right, and supporters. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Tell us about Nick uh, Nick Quitner and how he was oh. an influence on your life. Yeah, Nick was a very dear friend of mine. Uh, he was a fan of the of the Dutch Tilders band. We used to have some regular gigs around uh, Melbourne, and uh, Nick would quite often be there with with his group of friends. And uh, yeah, so I, I didn't know him that well initially, but he. He and some others, after I'd been in Dutch's band for some six or seven years, and Dutch used to get me to open the, the show. I'd do a couple of my tunes. And uh, he was puzzled as to why I wasn't making my own record. You know, you're going to make your own record. We'd love to see you put your own record out. And uh, I knew enough about the industry that it was very unlikely that I was going to get any kind of a record deal wanting to pursue the sort of music that I, I did. And um, basically, he offered to help me finance it. And he he had run a small business, and he he just made me look at it in a different way. So we we financed the the, the first record together, paid for it ourselves, and uh, and we we opened a bank account and we called it Jupiter Two Records, which is named yeah. after we, uh, <laughs> that was named after the spaceship on uh, Lost in Space. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Nick helped me to produce, I think the first four, five, maybe five records. Uh, so there's three studio albums and a, and a live album, maybe a couple of live albums. It's hard to remember. <laughs> so he was with you on this trip. Uh, he was with me on the initial trip to the States, which was in 93. And there were, I think seven or, or eight of us. Had come over, and we were all blues fans. I, I didn't come over with a with a guitar. I just wanted to to see the music and experience it in in the states. We we're all all crazy fans for blues and funk and soul. And were you guys influenced uh, by the blues by the actual blues musicians or by the people covering the blues, say like the Rolling Stones? Oh no, 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 no. We're in we're into Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters and and back further, Big Bill Brunsey and mm-hmm. Mississippi John Hurt and. And Lightning Hopkins and all that stuff, and that's what we we wanted to see the the real stuff, you know. But as well as we you know, we're into the fabulous Thunderbirds and Stevie Ray Vaughan, and you know all that was going on. And uh, uh, so, did you seek it out on your own? Was it on? Were, were were there options to hear that on the radio in Australia? I heard it quite by accident. I I had been playing guitar for a few years. I I played in my dad's dance band. He was a trumpet player. He had a little dance band. We do waltzes and foxtrots. And, and you were bassist first, right? And then I then I, I graduated to bass, <laughs> if that's the right uh, term to use. I I got offered the bass because I I was really not much crack on the guitar, and uh, and I was playing a mixture of trad jazz, and we'd do a few bebop tunes and things like that with with a an older guy. His name was Alan Watson. And he became my uh, my first mentor in music. He kind of took me under his wing, and uh, and he suggested that I that I play bass. And I I think I had I had a good feel for the music. I don't think I'm blessed with the the greatest ear, 
but uh, but I've but I think I've I've got a good feel for it. And yes. uh, I actually wanted to be a drummer initially, but my my parents couldn't spring for a drum kit. Um, the rehearsing of drums can be annoying to parents. Yes, actually, it can. most parents can say that's the number one excuse for parents <laughs> not getting a drum kit. <laughs> Sorry, kid. Yeah. Can't afford it, but here have this trumpet. It's silver. Yeah, you know, right. it only costs seven thousand dollars and forty two cents. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. drum kit, no, no can't way, afford it. no way. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, I played bass for for a little while, and we're actually doing a gig when I heard the first blues record that I heard, and it, it was the first first recording that was placed on the turntable, and it and it just the blues guitar just leapt out, and I'd heard that kind of playing before. Because I'd been doing a, a bit of jazz and stuff like that, and you'd, you'd hear that kind of guitar on on the occasional pop record, uh, but here was here was a, a, a record that was just you know, full of that sound that I loved, and I, and I was over at the turntable. What is this? Who is this? What's this all about? And it, it was uh, it was John Mayall and the Blues Breakers with a young Eric Clapton on guitar. You know the the Beano album. You know the guitar is just it's right up in the mix and thick. That's what it's all about. Full. And but that gave me a uh, a direction that uh, by it being presented to me is like well that is what we call blues music so i was like ah that's what i'm looking for that's what i want to do that's the sound i like and so from there i was able to pursue it i tuned into a tuned into a a, a, a little community radio station every thursday night they had a blues show with dr jules a guy called dr jules track of the blues with dr jules and i used to tune in about eleven thirty every thursday night and i'd pop a little cassette tape <laughs> i can relate and, to that yeah pop a little cassette tape it was my brother's tape recorder i used to have to pinch it and <laughs> find a dark corner in the house and you know, i'd pop these these blank cassettes in there and tape the show and and uh, and he used to talk about the artists, so that that was giving me clues as, who, as to who I should be listening to. But yourself, Todd, would you listen to them and play along? Is that? Part oh yeah, of- yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I just play along, and of course the tape would be all wonky, so I'd have to retune the guitar for every <laughs> every track. But the other thing I did was that you know the word got out. That I was working with older musicians doing the jazz stuff and playing bass and so on, and there was another uh, fellow musician called Paul Walsh. And he, he was a sax player, but he'd lived in England in the 60s during that boom, and he had a stack of records. And he invited me over, and he said, oh, I'll give you some stuff to listen to. And he gave me this great big pile of records. And the, and the reason he did, the big reason why he did this and why this was such a big deal was because records were really hard to get, uh, especially blues records out where I, I lived. I lived way out in the countryside. And so even to, to buy a record of any kind it meant an excursion on the train you know, into into town, and and of course you would have to have saved your money for several weeks as well, so it was, so it was a big deal. You know? So I brought these records home, and I think uh, the first one on the pile was Freddie King's Tex- Texas Cannonball. From there, I could hear, so that's where that guy Eric Clapton's got his sound from, and the next one was uh, the Allman Brothers Band live at Fillmore East. Excellent. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, yeah. So it was through through those. You know that handful of of albums, which I just listened to over and over again, which which in my mind was the blueprint for everything I wanted to pursue since. And if you are a you know a, a guitarist and looking to get into this music, Jeff has those albums here, and we'll deliver them. We're going to hand those down generation <laughs> yeah. to generation. Yeah, it's yeah. the folk process. Mm. 
I'd like to talk a little bit about more about Kittner because he's not just responsible for you starting the label. He's a significant part of your, the beginning of the American side of your career. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm a bit of an American. Um, can, <laughs> can you talk about you initially didn't even want to enter this competition. Oh, that, that competition? The, yeah. The hate. Because you, as you said, you didn't have your guitar. You're in the States. Yeah. The drummer from... Um, Dutch Tilders. Was with you. Winston Gallia. Yeah, he was, he was with us. He was part of the crew. We were just doing this, this big bar hopping uh excursion around america so we so we'd been to austin texas and we'd been you know the land of stevie ray vaughan and, and that was you know a couple of three years after he died um so that was a bit of a pilgrimage for all of us and we saw some great music there but wherever we went the the rest of the the crew were sort of pushing me up towards the stage and you know telling the band leader that i played a bit and i gotta tell you back in those days uh to be an Australian and to you know, tell someone in the band that you you played blues guitar for a living, and I did it for a living. I was a blues guitar. They just peals of laughter. They just crack up. They just think that was the funniest thing they ever heard, you know. And uh, so, the, so they hand me the guitar and say, "All right, you can sit in for a song." You know, this should, this should just be, to appease you. This right? should be funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, but we made a lot of friends on that trip. You know, just. And 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 it was really empowering too. Um, so I I don't think I would have had the gumption to to approach the band if I'd just been travelling by myself. Uh, I wouldn't have felt qualified enough to do it. And, and for me, it was it was a like a study trip. You know? That's actually something we were yeah. talking about a couple of shows ago. Is the the idea of the sit-in and. Mm. And you know, open yourself up to the possibilities is great, but mm. but really, no musician wants a musician coming up to him saying, "Hey, man, I play guitar. Can I yeah. sit in with you?" Yeah, really, the natural way where other people are suggesting it, etc. That's that seems... there's a certain etiquette that goes to it, a, a certain almost un, unwritten etiquette, mm -hmm. because you're right. I mean, we we all are a little guarded with that that uh, that approach when someone comes up it seems tricky says yeah like on the one hand you want to you yeah. know a contribute but on the other hand you want to step on toes you know it seems yeah. like a, a balancing act almost mm. so uh yeah so it's good to be invited to yeah. play or be seen to be invited <laughs> i suppose but uh, but looking back i mean it really was there really was a a, a a generosity a spirit um in all those cases where i was i was uh allowed to get up and borrow somebody's guitar and and sit in but the competition what was it you played a couple songs oh at, at that beale street yeah, one that, and that that was the whole reason i was uncomfortable with it was because it had this competition right uh uh, uh connected to it but that was but nick uh quitner uh made that happen we were walking up and down beale street and he found there was an ent entry form and he picked up this entry form and he and he saw that it was for that very night the first number one heat of the Beale Street Blues Society, Blues Performer of the Year competition, first of ten heats. Anyway, he he just signed me up for it, and then we were having having dinner later on. He said, "You know, you got a gig tonight." And I'm like, "Oh, what have you done now?" <laughs> uh, but we yeah borrowed a guitar. Winston jumped up and played drums, and uh, and I think we we even borrowed a bass player from one of the other groups, and he was great. You know, he just played, and we did we probably did three songs. And we won the heat. And we we weren't expecting that, but that that was really fun. We won the heat, and that was big news when we got back. But that, after a couple of years, helped. To, it, it it helped 
in getting me back. Well, uh, let's first say he won the Gibson guitar, yeah. won a Gibson sponsorship, and who did you end up meeting through the Gibson sponsorship? Right. So, okay, so that so that, yeah, it's kind of a cascade of events. Yes. So I got I got the the Albert King Award, and that was presented by Gibson. The, oh, I'm the, sorry. So the Albert King Awards, I skipped ahead then. Yeah, yeah. So this is a key part because yeah. first Melbourne started. Um, its own competition, right? This is before you won the Albert King, right? Yeah. So okay. after that heat, that that led to Melbourne getting in touch with okay. the Memphis. Sorry about that. Memphis Blues Foundation, and they said, "Well, if we have our own competition, could we send our Blues Performer of the Year to the Grand Final?" And they said, "Yeah, that'd be great." And all of a sudden, they became international uh, Blues Challenge. Oh, you were the f- that was the. No, I wasn't the first. I was the second. Okay. So that so Melbourne held their competition. I didn't win it, and. Honestly, thankfully, I didn't win it. Uh, so the first guy to go was a fantastic uh, performer called Ian Collard. He's a harmonica player. Okay. So he had the difficulty of uh, arriving by himself, but being a harmonica player singer, you know, they could only afford one one uh, airfare, so he had to borrow one of the other bands to uh, back him up. Well, when that's he rough performed. Well, of course, they didn't perform very well behind him. Oh. It was, it was probably nice of them to do it, but of course they're not going to make a big effort. Uh, so he he told me that when he came back, and I was the next guy the, the following year that got the got the, uh, the won the airfare to go over. So I elected to do it just with an acoustic guitar, and I think that served me well because in in those days it was all held on one day. They had twenty one or twenty two bands, all with ten minutes each on stage and they're, they're going to be marked on performance and, and showmanship. So of course they all exploded onto stage and, you know, at, at full. Sounds like it's more know. of a competition for the crew. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so by the time I went on, I, I, my, my slot was about three o'clock in the afternoon. This had all started at about 10 a.m. So I think by the time I came on with the acoustic guitar and I just started. Bright, relief, I, yeah, I think the judging panel just went, Oh, thank God. God. <laughs> Do you remember what you played? I played a song called Don't Play Guitar Boy. Oh. That was my my little, yeah, my, it, it had been popular back home at the gigs. And then I played a, a song which is called The Train Song. It's, it's just a... A, uh, sort of a train rhythm that I do, so more of a fast-paced thing. But on the strength of that, uh, yeah, I got I got the trophy on the day and the, the I was playing a cheap little $300 acoustic guitar I really didn't have much money back in those days, and uh, but the, the the CEO of Gibson he li- he liked my style and he suggested maybe it would be better if I was playing a Gibson guitar, so I got to to return and go to the Gibson factory. They gave me a couple of instruments, and from that visit, I, I so I played for the did a, a concert for them for the staff at, at, in their lunch hour. So they got to see me play and everything. And so before I left, they said, you know, our, we're very good friends with Yorma Kalkinen and he's, you know, got uh, got plans to begin this this guitar founding, teaching. Founding member of Justin Airplane, uh, member of Hot Tuna, continues his tour, and I think maybe the greatest white acoustic uh, blues player I've ever seen. He's just extraordinary. Um, to my great shame, I had no idea who Gibson were talking about at the time. <laughs> I'd never heard of him. So... <laughs> Um, and this, this is one of the perils of coming from such a long way away. Uh, uh, 
So even though I think I've I've listened to a lot of music, there's still I'm still discovering artists over here. You know, that people whose music haven't made it as as uh, far as us. Even even Jefferson Airplane, they had one minor hit. White Rabbit was a minor hit in and Australia. And somebody loves sort of a hit. No, no, not at all. I'd never heard it before. Um, had you heard? No, that hadn't happened yet. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Um, <laughs> And uh, so it was. The whole thing was an education for it. But I just sat there dumbly in the office, and 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 I just nodded and thought, but sure, that's it. Yeah, mention my name. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that they're thinking maybe I could do some, uh, uh, be a guest instructor. I I hadn't even done any teaching at that point, but um, but I guess there's just a lesson in that. It's it's like that. Uh, what's that movie? The the Yes Man. The Jim Carrey movie. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Just say yes, <laughs> whatever it is. Just agree and say, "Yep, sure, that'd be fine. Let's do it." Um, and so in '98, so that that all came about. The uh, Yorma's people took me on as an instructor on Gibson's recommendation, and so I was there in '98, the founding year, and I, they gave me a class of uh, ten budding guitar players, and and it was great. It was it was just amazing. Do you remember first meeting Yorma? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, I remember turning up at the ranch, and, uh, and it was quite overwhelming for me. So there am I with my you know, brand-new Gibson guitar, and uh, Yorma's just got people all around him because this was the inaugural year, so it was new for, for everybody that turned up. It's like, wow, I can talk to Yorma? It's like he's, he's just sitting there having a cup of coffee, and he's just yakking with people, and... Oh, so he was just surrounded. He was like he was holding court, <laughs> and he's such a down to earth guy. You know? And he's and he's a he's a great conversationalist, and he's very friendly, and uh, and I th- he just likes people. And he likes hanging with people. So um, and and we were all guitar players. So that, so we all had the common that was the the, the common thread of of conversation. It took me a while to, you know, I was very shy, and very. I, I felt like I was possibly out of my depth. I, I felt like I had a, a, a huge task. Well, he had never taught before. Mm-hmm. So mm. did it change you at all as a player teaching? Do you have a oh, new, yeah. new perspective? Oh, yeah. Yeah, every time. I've, I've, I've often said that um, every experience of teaching, uh, it it teaches you, one, what you do know, and it also teaches you what you don't know. Um, that's the... That's, that's the that right there is the lesson in life. Yeah. Knowing what yeah. you don't know that you know that you don't know. Yeah. You just have to know you don't know. Because yeah. <laughs> Seth works with a lot of young folks in an intern yeah. program, getting them right. into the music industry. So, I mean, I mm. think there's a little bit of a kismet there. Mm. And I think you're always learning what you don't know, aren't you? Yeah. Or at least uh, on, since we started this podcast, you have, certainly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I know I don't. Uh, it's been an extraordinary journey. Yeah. And, and encouraged me to do more teaching when when I I got home. So I I do, I organise uh, occasional w- workshops, where, and and I really like the the style of the Fur Piece Ranch workshops, where it's it's just a limited number of people. Because I've also been asked to do more clinic style uh, teaching situations, which is. Uh, 
more, almost a performance where you're, you're up on stage and then you've got an audience and they just try to get as many people in the room as they possibly can, try to sell as many tickets as possible so we can make as much money as possible. Yeah, and I get that. You know, that, that, that makes good, uh, good sense in a lot of ways. But then you sit up on stage and you, you, you demonstrate and talk about and there's usually a, some kind of a sponsorship involved where they want you to talk about particular types of guitars or particular gear but I really prefer the small ones where we we limit it to maybe 10 or 12 people and so the ticket price per person is is uh is more expensive but they'll get one-on-one learning and you can spend more time with those people Mm -hmm. and it's uh and and for me as an instructor I'm happier to spend more time because it, it feels more like a like a, a one like a conversation well, and yeah. two like you feel like you're achieving something with them so you're it's not a sharing pleasure your journey you're actually going on mm. a journey with them mm. and that's i think then part mm. of teaching and learning is mm. is that shared experience mm. so being in a clinic setting is much different yeah it's a show yeah you know, a show on on the fundamentals but it's still a show <laughs> yeah yeah but uh but I, I do i do quite a lot of it at home now so then he needed an agent in the United States. And I don't know if you know, because she's our friend and all around, but Miss Nancy Lewis Pagel of Brilliant Productions is a very sought after, particularly then, right? Very sought after person, mm-hmm. music industry for people of this genre to break the American market. So Jeff gives her a call to uh, convince mm-hmm. her. Yeah. What happened, Jeff? <laughs> so this is, uh, yeah, now the, the next in the, in the event cascade. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, I, I had uh, developed a relationship in England. I was, and my English manager had an artist who had toured over here, a guy called Dave Sutherland, had toured over here with Nancy Lewis Pagel. And he knew I wanted to come back to the US, uh, but I didn't have a contact. So, he gave me uh, a number. He said, You might want to try this lady. And so I gave her a call. It was a, it was a very fun conversation. Uh, it wasn't going well <laughs> at first. She wasn't impressed with well, anything. I'm, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, hi, yeah, it's Jeff. I'm from Australia. I'd love to come. And she's like, hmm. I, said, I, I know you book bands. And I've been to the States before. Hmm. I won the Albert King Award. Yeah. <laughs> and I got this endorsement deal with Gibson Guitars. I'm trying to impress her. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and I've just been teaching at your... I'm feeling it slip away. Right. Uh, I, I said, I've, I've just been teaching at Yorma Kalkinen's third piece. And she's like, Yorma? You know Yorma? <laughs> <laughs> and that was that. Yeah. And I said, yes. I said, yeah, I know Yorma really well. I played on stage with him. <gasps> you played with him? Yeah. So, um, so then it was on. I think that made me slightly more interesting. Um, but we had, uh, we did a, did a little tour and, uh, yeah, at first when I came over, I remember we went to some jam sessions and open mic nights. And, uh, and is this just you coming over, or are you touring with other other folks here? No, I, ca- I I came came over to Atlanta, and and Nancy and her husband Rob were kind enough to you know let me stay for a while, and and Nancy and I just went all over town. I took my guitar, and whether I was sitting in or or she got some musicians together so we could play some some little gigs around the place and we did oh, all sorts of stuff. You know, and, the, and when you, I, 
I had to start all over again. It, it didn't matter that I'd won this or I'd played that or I'd you know, been a professional uh, in Australia for, mm-hmm. what was it by then, you know, over a decade and I'd made records with, with Dutch and I'd made a couple of my own albums and they'd gone very well. But that, none of that mattered. And that's, I think that's, that's an important thing for, for uh, people to realise in the, in the music industry as well. When you go to a new market, you, you've got to go with the expectation that all of a sudden, no matter what you've done anywhere else, you're nobody. Tabula rasa. You've got, you've got to earn, your, earn your, your stripes again. What was that? Tabula rasa, blank slate. Oh, okay. Right. I don't know where that came from. Right. <laughs> Apparently, neither do we. Yeah, <laughs> not, that'll be the last time I use that one. Um, but you were still maintaining your own label all along, you know? Yeah. So I'd, I guess I'd made four or five records by that time. Oh, I, I think when I first came here to Atlanta, I was, I was just, I'd just about released the uh, first live album, which was called Live at St. Andrews. I think that, that either that was just about to come out or it had just come out. So we were. But you had the music side of it c- uh, under command. But what about the whole marketing side of it? The, you know, the... I've never had that under command. So I've always struggled with that. Yeah. But you survived. Two managed decades. to. I've managed to survive. I've, I've had to to uh, work really hard on on the uh, you know the admin side of it. And you started in a time when the big labels were still dominating. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there weren't weren't many people had their own label when uh, when Nick convinced me that was the way to go, that, or, or this was a way of, around a difficult uh, situation. And how are the, how is your career um, different or mirrored between the states and yeah. your home? Yeah, and and your opinion of the audiences too. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, in Australia, we we have we have a really um, we have a really vibrant scene there. I've watched it grow. It hasn't always been, but but particularly on the on the back of independent artists and enthusiasts forming uh, music societies, whether they be blue societies or, or mm-hmm. folks that the blue society is really strong. The number of festivals. I'd say that the there festival world right there is yeah. is extremely. Well, it's 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 been a step ahead of the U.S. in a lot of ways, and have gone through a lot of the headaches that we're going through now right. with the buyouts of yeah. major companies taking over and the major mm. festivals and all the small festivals and the smaller small like yes. the popcorn effect. Yeah. Um, but in your career, um, do you, do you mirror a lot of the same uh, same fan base, the same um, sales and albums and and what have there's you? A, there's a lot of similarities. A lot of similarities, but I but I I think that the the attraction for me coming over here to the states is that there there are boundless opportunities in Australia. It's it's a relatively small market, so I I have limited opportunities. So, so we we have what we call the glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. So you you work yourself up 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 up, and then that's it. You can't go any further up. You've exhausted that circuit you can only go around it so many times and it's like oh you again (laughs) (laughs) um so uh, that's why people like tommy emmanuel uh he he had no choice but to to uh leave australia and and uh try to expand 
the market. He was, he was so phenomenal. Like still, I mean, anyone that's seen him, and he's just you know, the best example I can think of. He's so phenomenal. He's so universally uh, recognised as just one of the greatest uh, guitar players you'll you'll ever see. Like stunt acoustic guitar. Yeah. Stunt, interesting. So he he must have got to a point in Australia with like we've got six major cities. He must have got to a point where he could probably do six gigs a year because he was filling you know mm. the biggest rooms in town so you, know, you you can't do that too many times in a year before it's you know you're just saturating yeah. the market so and of so course the festivals now they always have the radius clause too i'm sure so that even tightens it right more. yeah so um so this this is what has worked for me just mm-hmm. on, on my on my level that i you know, come over here once or twice a year. You know, thanks to thanks to Nancy having the the faith in me to to you know, allow me to keep visiting. So with with each visit, we just built it a little more, a little more, and a little more. It culminated in the late uh, 2000s, 2007, with my wife and I moving over here for a short time, and it, it was almost a, an experiment. But what what we were seeing was that I, I would come over for several weeks and and we'd tour and and uh, uh, build a little bit of momentum and then I'd go back to Australia and then I'd, I'd get all these emails from Nancy Lewis-Pagel saying, well, you could have played this festival if you were here. Well, you could have done this cruise if you were here. Well, you could have done... You know. um, Speaking of cruises, have you been on the Blues Cruise yet? Been no, Delbert. been on Delbert. No, I haven't. I did. I did the Delbert McClinton cruise, which mm-hmm. was which was just fantastic. Seems to me you should be uh, doing the Big Blues Bender and the uh, Blues Cruise. So promoters out there, <laughs> I think you'd shred on Jam out. Cruise myself. But yeah, sign me up. Um, you mentioned blues, blues societies, and mm-hmm. I love blues societies and blues organizations. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that is. Yeah. To describe you as a blues artist doesn't really that scratches the surface of what you do. So I mean, yeah, it's it's the best of things, it's the worst of things. Right. It's it's a misnomer, not just for me, but for a, a, a lot of artists that are that are out there. But the, I will say that we we always seem to have found a home with with the blues enthusiasts, and I I always have felt that if somebody really appreciates blues music. That they'll probably also appreciate what we do. Like it, it means they'll probably like soul music. They'll probably like funk. They'll probably like, you know, improv. Yeah, to a certain degree. And like maybe you're not going to like all of it, but you know, I really like blues, but I don't like all of it. You know, there's there's some of it, you know, I can I can take or leave. Um, I I think uh, the problem that I and a, a lot of artists have is the the uh, amount of emphasis put on the genre. Uh, the the genres are only there to kind of help describe it. It's to, to successfully describe music is a is a waste of time anyway. If if you could describe what it sounds like, you wouldn't have to listen to it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I could just say to you, "Oh, it's great! It's bluesy, funky jazz stuff," and you'd go. Wow, that was fantastic. Say it again. (laughs) (laughs) Say it with a little more bass. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's let's move on to the um, our good friends at um, 
hitting the note released uh, an album of you and Randall mm. playing R- at Randall. the uh, Randall Bramlett. Thank you, Randall Bramlett, who's a wonderful singer songwriter of his own. Bonnie Raiders covers material. I I'm most um, excited about when Traffic reunited in 1994. Randall was a huge part of the success of that tour. But um, again, Nancy had the idea. As you started playing more and more, you guys had a kismet between you. Why not book the two of you together? Mm. It started the Gray Eagle in the, at the Gray Eagle in Asheville. Great room, um, and it was just the two of us. Uh, but you know, Nancy always keeps me appraised with the schedule and what's coming up, and she let me know that you're playing with this uh, uh, guy called Randall Bramlett. I'm just like, no, oh, okay, you're doing a show together. Oh, yeah, who is he? <laughs> He's a singer-songwriter. Oh, okay. Um, and so this happens now and again. You get teamed up with someone who you know, maybe you've, you've not heard of and I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm always busy with my own thing and on the road. And uh, so I hadn't got round to bringing up his music or researching anything. And I, he was in the same boat. He, he didn't know anything about me. I didn't know anything about him. So we met in the, in the dressing room, and I, I suppose we were, we were both uh, certainly polite about it, but um, both very curious as to how this gig was going to go. But we decided, rather than go out and, and do a set each and then one together, because part of the idea was that we were performing together, we just decided we'd go out on stage and do it round robin style. Uh, well, you you do one, and if you want me to solo on it, just give me a nod, and I'll do one. And if you think you hear something that you could contribute, go ahead. And that's how we approached it. And it was just uh, it, it just kind of clicked, you know. And again, to my eternal shame, I'd never heard of him, didn't know who the man was, and now I can't believe. That I was so ignorant. Is there maybe a, a benefit to that to go in with no expectations? Uh, no yeah, if I had I had I been fully aware of Randall's uh, magnificence, <laughs> I think I would have been so nervous. I would have, you know. Well, but it's also but, also going into. I mean, on the on the fan perspective, industry mm, fan. You know, that's mm. kind of. I'll, I'll take the fan ship oh, here for a second. Yeah. This is a change but, in pace. But very, you know, the shows that I go to that yeah. I don't have any expectations. Man, mm. I tell you, I walk yeah. away more excited more yeah. motivated just everything and i enjoy the show that much mm. more i mean sometimes it I, i'm you know, whatever but mm. but when a show's really good and I, i'm like man i can't believe i didn't know what i was getting into mm. it's it just it just makes it that much better so i mm. imagine performing must have been your experience in that and yeah. your performing so yeah it's got it that must have been like just was a yeah. energy cycle there yeah 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 it was was something like that it, it was uh yeah much more than um, than than the notes we were playing or or um, uh, I I don't know I don't know how how to describe it it just it just took on a life of its own and it, everything just seemed to work it was an absolute joy and and every song that he played it was my first time hearing but my first time hearing is standing on stage with him and being invited to contribute to it so. The thing I'm clueless about, though, as you as it progressed, you started doing the full band thing. Yeah. But as a fan of each of you, I see Randall as more do the song, keep things about the song, and I see more as like the song is a launching pad to these wonderful excursions. Mm. So now the two of you, 
as you come together. I always wonder this with, when artists who are alpha dogs collaborate. How do you reconcile that? How do you meet in the middle? You, is it discussed or is it just an, a, a kind of an innate thing on the stage? No, I, th- I think it's just. Uh, I just think it's just. Uh, uh, it, it's one of those. You know, there's there's a code of etiquette that that goes with working alongside other musicians, and you you just kind of get a feel for where they're at and what they like to do and how they like to approach it, and you you go with it. But I also do feel that to to really make a song work, to really make it kick, you it, it's it's imperative to throw something in there that that we're not expecting to make it fresh mm-hmm. for us. Throw a bone, and you know what they say: mm. two alpha. That's a pretty rough job. <laughs> <laughs> rough job. Yeah. Rough. So, anyways, you ended up at the Eddie's Attic one time, and mm. and uh, Oliver was with you. Oliver Wood yes. of the Wood Brothers and King Johnson. Yeah. And could you tell that was a special night right away when you played it? When you played the gig, this is the um, night that ended up being the release. Um, yeah, well, we didn't know it was going to be a release. We weren't even aware that we were, it was being recorded or or anything like that. But I've always been a huge fan of Oliver's. And we had Enrico Scott on drums and Ted Peccio on bass. Deep so deep. And, and then with this, you know, my new found uh, favourite musician, Randall Bramlett, who I'd, I'd done two gigs with him and I'd just thought he was amazing and I was slowly learning his songs so I I felt like a little fan you know who somehow was up on stage with the with the big boys you know nice. so I, I was you know just desperately trying to trying to uh yeah fit in you know not I was just wanting to not fuck it up you know so turned out like a chocolate peanut butter kind of yeah, thing yeah but Oliver's not credited on the album, right? Because he's credited on on the album, but but it, not on the mark. Yeah, it says Randall Bramlett, Jeff Hatches, and Jam in the Attic. It should say Randall Bramlett, Oliver Wood, Jeff Hatches. Uh, I might even get into trouble for saying that. But he had a record label, seven years, and you know. uh, record labels. Are, uh, you know, they're there to statue of the screw everything up. But <laughs> <laughs> um, because Oliver sang, he led the band for several of the tunes, and and of course. It, Rico and Ted were very familiar with with Oliver's stuff, and those were some of the the best moments uh, mm-hmm. of the night. But we couldn't use those on the record, and even that you can only fit so much on right. on a single CD. But there's a whole show, there's a complete uh, concert, and it's probably out there. Uh, it's on somewhere. archive.org. Yeah. Oh, oh it, is, it, really? it is out I there believe somewhere. So. I'm yeah. pretty, pretty certain it yeah. is. I was thinking, release a box set down the road sometime. Mm. Throw some bonus tracks. Yeah, on and of course, yeah, Oliver's just a superstar now, and we're and we're. He's he's really. I mean, he's always had it though. You know, the King Johnson band. I mean, oh just, yeah. He's always had it in yeah. him. I was, it's just people didn't know, and then then when the Wood Brothers came out, it's just, it just just yeah. that. You know, I was a fit. Nancy introduced us to King Johnson. In the, we were driving to New York. This is with one of the lineups of the band. I had Sam Kelly in the band. Sam Kelly from England, and uh, and I can't remember the bass. Was that Chris Dale? Yep, got ninja in the corner there. So. Um, <laughs> and watching over and us. she, yeah, she put this King Johnson album in there. I remember, we're, we're listening, and Sam and I, in particular, I, I don't know if Chris was familiar with King Johnson. We'd never heard him before, and and, and it was one of those, one of those you know, sort of rock your world yeah. moments. We were just all through the album with every track. We're just like, yes, God, that's fantastic. Who are these guys? So I was a huge fan of Oliver's before mm-hmm. I met him. 
and and all of the guys in the band. I, I wound up getting to know all the guys in King Johnson. I got to work with all of them. And in each case, you know, from from whether it was Oliver or or uh, uh, or Greg Babber, mm-hmm. the, the drummer, or, or beautiful Adam, you know, the trombone player, any of the any of the guys, I, I was, um, yeah, I, I was I was like the little fan, you know, because I'd, I'd been listening to those guys. I got all the records, and I just loved their music. And so and so we're just, you know, immensely uh, happy and proud of. of Oliver's, you know, continued success. It's just, just wonderful to see. He's the inventor of one of my favorite expressions, mm. the music likers. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be a topic of a future show. Yeah. Um, let's see. Can you talk about how the relationships you made in the U.S. Um, and how wonderful Nancy led to you uh, being on stage with the Almond Brothers at the Beacon Theater? Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, so the event cascade continues. So. <laughs> so. We're now in the year 2000-something. <laughs> so, um, uh, so now that Nancy was, was working with Randall, and of course Randall is, you know, he's, he's such an iconic figure in, in the, on the American music scene himself, and, and he's... He, he's he's part of the family, part of the Allman Brothers band family, um, and uh, look, even you know, with the time that I'd been here, the fact that I that I got to know, I had Enrico Scott in the band. Any time he was in Atlanta, and uh, he, he wasn't on the road with with the Derek Trucks band, you know, I was lucky enough to have him be a soul digger, you know, for those times. So it was, you know, it's just the little connections and little. Um, uh, uh, just little cogs turning around, and so by the time it got to 2012, Nancy was also this part of Nancy's story. You did a whole show on Nancy Lewis Pagel. We may someday do here. Um, so Nancy was working with Hitting the Note by that stage, um, and I should back up a little bit. So Jamming in the Attic, that recording with Randall, mm-hmm. wound up being released. As, a, as an album by Hitting the Note Records. Shout out to Joe Bell, I believe yeah, was his shout idea. Yeah, the great Joe Bell. I love Joe. And, um, and, the, and it was a huge success. That got us working much more. And uh, so I did, uh, yeah, many more gigs, not just with Randall, but with, with that lineup with, with Rico and Ted on bass. And, and, uh, and then um, the, I, I guess because that record had been one of the... the the, the best sellers for hitting the note uh, records uh, they offered the the next time they do the Beacon Theatre run so this was 2012 they asked if we'd uh, come up to New York and play the hitting the note uh, party they they do they would do an annual party during the Beacon run and the Beacon run was New like what a ten Ten Almond Brothers show run or something like yeah, that every about, year in New York for about twenty years. They did five to twenty shows depending on the year. Yeah, and it's very high mm. profile, center of the Almond Brothers universe kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, so we we agreed, you know, to uh, meet them in New York City. So was, I was coming into the U.S. much earlier than usual. So it's it's not the best time to you know put a, a a full tour together in what was that February March Yeah, but still February March weather Yeah. Well, and unless you do a tour coming from the Northeast to Florida, I call that the defrost tour. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I came straight from Melbourne, which is, um, yeah, just the, the sleep deprivation tour. And I uh, arrived in New York uh, 
and I was sharing a room with, with Randall. And so we were preparing to do a, a jamming in the attic show at, uh, at Terra Blues uh, down in, in the village. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew I had tickets to, to go and see the Ormond Brothers band that night. So that, that was a big incentive for me to say, yep, yep, I'll be there. I'll be there in New York. Let's do it. Um, How many times had you seen them previous to that live? Never. Really? I'd never seen them play live. My goodness. Yeah, so it was a big, big deal for me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and I remember sitting in the, in the hotel room. I'm talking with Randall, and he's like, oh, excuse me. He's got the, picks the phone up. He's like, hello. Oh, hey, Warren. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Warren Haynes on the, on the phone. And so at that moment, that, that part of the day, I'm, I'm standing there, you know, just while Randall's taking this phone call. I'm like, I'm in New York City. I'm in the hotel room with Randall Bramlett and Warren Haynes is on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Kill me now. Yeah. Right. Um, but then we did, did the show. So I, I don't know, Randall's just talking to, to Warren and, and I'm uh, just thinking about the show, I guess. But, so we did the show down in, in, in Terra Blues and that was sold out. We had a line around the corners. So that was enormously successful and fun. And so then we... we we had to get ourselves back up, up the uh, up the street, so that we could we could get ourselves ready to see the show. And I think it was Joe Bell told me before I went back to my hotel room. He said, um, I, said I think you better grab a guitar." I'm like, "What? Really?" He so said, you went to your first ever Almond Brothers show, <laughs> knowing that you might sit in with them. Yeah. How many people can say that, Seth? Yeah. Uh, let me think here. Colonel would say two point five seven. Oh, it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty nerve wracking. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I walked to the Beacon Theatre and I'm walking across the road with this guitar case. So of course everybody's looking at me. Everybody's like, "Who's that guy?" Well, it's it's more like. Well, he's going to oh. open up there. I don't know if he have any change. Is that the thing still? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so that was uh, yeah. So it was pretty weird, and then then we we got backstage, and of course someone just took my guitar. You know, the roadie just takes it. Like, oh, but wait a minute, you, so you watched the first set, right? Uh, yeah. Oh wait, you go backstage before the show. Someone takes your guitar. Oh yeah, they send us up to the rehearsal room and everything. Oh and, yeah, and so then I got to see the the set list printed out, and sure enough, my name was on it, and and. Um, uh, and then once a set list went missing that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would have hung on to that. Absolutely. <laughs> and it was, they actually, did, th- go uh, ahead. <laughs> actually, you could just get, if you managed to get it, you just go around with a, with a, a uh, Sharpie and just write your name on there. On all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'm in the set, guys, see? <laughs> Whipping bars, <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I got to watch the first set. Um, it was a, It was a little hard to focus i mean the whole experience was was bigger than bigger than texas for me so w- um, to what extent did they prep you did they say what part of the song did they say we want no, you to did no no just no, wearing this no, key and no, go. i knew which song it was so the the prep i had was the name was of the song was that's what love will make you do so i i actually looked it up uh on the internet uh and that was the first time you actually saw the song is on yes on the look oh, yeah but it, it, but it's just a, I'm it's, just teasing you yeah. you know like the others the other shows where you yeah. don't know the material yeah 
Did you look up the, the Almond version or the Garcia version or the original? No, or? no. I, I, well, I was looking for the original. I knew it was a Little Milton tune. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so I, I didn't know that – I don't know that there is an Almond Brothers version apart from they had just night. They had just started uh, – maybe Doing done it once or twice before. It was okay. new right. to the repertoire. Um, but but it's, it's a blues in C. Okay. There's not much to it. But there's also, you know, because of the kind of tune it is, um, you know, there's, there's a billion ways of doing it. You, you don't know what the approach they're going to give it. So, so um, They say you just have to see. Yeah, you just have to see. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and he killed it, people, because I used to write for a magazine called Relics, and they did a, uh, a little survey of their listeners, mm-hmm. and there had been incredible guests that run. And, uh, but Relics Magazine asked, who was your favorite? And, and Jeff didn't just win. He won comfortably. I mean, you had a like Hillary Clinton like lead over your oh, over wow. your uh, party mates. <laughs> well, it was well, it was it was uh, yeah, quite an honor, and and it was for me, it, it was it, that was my Everest, you know, being such a yeah. fan of the band and and you know, all the music I've I've played, uh, I think reflects you know the my my love for how that band works, and uh, you know they, they were a big part of my my development. And be a hard thing to top uh, in your life or in mm, life for that. That's, yeah. that's quite the achievement. Yeah, right there. yeah it was a big what deal. What do you do after that? Do you uh, you say that's it? But um, cancel the tour. Yeah, I'm that's done. it. That's <laughs> it. I've, I've, I've sold the guitars. I'm retired now, and I'm playing drums. I live in a, live in a castle in Scotland. <laughs> I've still got lots to do, lots, lots of music that, that I want to play. I, I think the, the, the um, you know, that experience, being, being that it was at that venue with that band and that I was so new to it and I, and I 
felt like I was there because I was Randall's buddy. You know, there's no doubt about it. Um, and they were so kind. Warren was fantastic. I met Derek that night, and he was he was awesome, uh, very personable, very welcoming. Uh, but afterwards, apparently, I didn't know this, but afterwards there, there, there's you know, there's like an after party at another show, and I I didn't know that. And when when the the gig had finished, and my first thought is like, okay, I got to get my guitar because when I arrived, someone just took it, and I didn't know where it was for three hours, and now it's still on stage, and I don't know what's going to happen. To might just it. disappear I just and end sure up. I got my guitar back. Might disappear and end up in the, on display at the big house yeah, or something. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, but then there's there's also you know as the guys walk off, it's, it's like there's this these each one's got their their little sort of tornado that surrounds them mm-hmm. of their people, and and they all just dip. I got swept out of the way, you know, and so. So it's a little strange. It's, it's much different to sitting in with a, a, a band in a small club where afterwards you, you know, you shake hands, you say, thanks, man. Hey, that was really fun. Thanks for letting me up. And I really enjoyed that. And and then, you know, maybe that leads on to, to other things. But that, that that was impossible on that night. That that was someone, you know, I, di- I didn't really get to meet them or, or hang out with them or anything like that. And uh, had I known there was an after party and that because I had the backstage pass I, I, I imagine I would have got it I was just ignorant and naive and so I missed that boat but you know, but never mind <laughs> see he misses that boat and Rob Turner yeah. normally does this because they take that pass off of him and kick him out yeah <laughs> but you know yeah. there is something we haven't talked about there is a bit of an elephant in the room Seth <laughs> he's also an incredible songwriter mm-hmm. and I mean can you talk about I mean that's a com- Completely different skill than guitar players. As a matter of fact, as I look over the history of being a rock fan, it's not always the great soloists who are the great songwriters. It's actually kind of rare that someone's very adept at both. Can you talk about how it's a different skill and how you've nurtured it over the years and maybe how you've changed as a songwriter? Um, well, I don't feel like... I, re- I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like they're, they're, they're separate uh, because it, they're, it, it's kind of an extension of improvising. So... So when you're, if you're, you're improvising upon the music, you're, you're trying different ideas um, and, and you're, you're trying to find these, pull them out of the ether, you know, at, at, at any one time. Um, so when I'm, in, the songs come about I, I, in a variety of ways, but if you can, if you can imagine, so when I'm, I'm practicing the guitar and I'm, I'm, I'm messing messing around with chords or, or lead lines or, or whatever. I'm looking for, for ideas, musical ideas that work. Um, and so coming up with, a, say, a chord progression or a, or, or a groove, initially what I'm doing is, is laying down an idea that I, can, I, that I think this would be really great for the band to improvise upon. And it's like, okay, so the next step is to, to glue that together Maybe with with a part one and a part two, uh, maybe a little bridge to connect those together, and so then okay, well, for this to make sense for the listeners, we maybe want to have a little story there. So then, hopefully, a lyrical idea will will come together. But lyrics yeah. are tough, man. I tried to oh, write songs. Mm, Want to be profound without being trite. Mm, they're they're the they're the hardest things, and uh, yeah, I even look back now on 
lyrics that I have written, and some of them I've I've that have evolved from the from the time that they were recorded. There's there's some of them when I sing them now they're slightly different because I I have found a better phrase, and uh, uh, you know you're always always you know tweaking it and helping it to work a little bit better. Um, but it's just, it's just an extension of the of the it's the same process so far as I'm concerned. Um, but I will I will quite often look at the set. Uh, I don't do it as much now, but uh, for many years, most of the writing would take place after a gig. So I'd get home at one or two in the morning, and that was the best time for writing one because everything was quiet most people are asleep there's no no traffic noise and all that sort of stuff no one's calling you on the phone um but I've also I've just done a gig and maybe thought ah, we really need another shuffle we, we need a really good shuffle um but not a 12 bar blues you know because everyone's doing these 12 bar blues we need another shuffle that sounds a little bit different we need need a shuffle that's got something else and so that's when I, I would work up that's, that. a be- that's the beauty of being a sober musician. A lot of musicians that I know, all the things they're writing after gigs are, you know, obscene jokes. Well, <laughs> Some of them are funny. So you've got a new album coming. You've produced that mm-hmm. as well. Uh, we were treated to some songs, and we will. our listeners will be treated to them as well, one of which was called Delta Dave. Is that a true story? Yeah, yeah. That's a, he was a real guy. He was a real guy, and... Uh, I was, uh, he, he was a, he was a buddy of mine and, uh, uh, you know, so I, I, I guess I, the music always comes first. So I'm sitting there with the acoustic guitar and I'm playing and for whatever reason, De- uh, Dave's popped into my head and, and, uh, I actually went on the internet to, to, uh, do a search on him cause I didn't know if he was alive or, or dead or whatever. I hadn't seen him in a long time. Um, and I knew he he was um you know he was a he was sort of a troubled guy in some ways, but he was also very much loved but yeah i i yeah discovered that he he'd uh he'd left us uh some time before he'd 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 taken his life when i was a long time ago when I was overseas and well yeah we weren't super close friends, but he was one of the guys on the scene. I did a little bit of busking uh in melbourne he was he was the king of the buskers. He, he he was remarkable, um, but he he rode his bicycle into all over all over town. He'd ride it into 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 the city, and he'd have all his musical gear, but he'd also have all this other paraphernalia. He used to hook up little toy uh, like teddy bears and stuff like stuffed toys, and he'd rig them up with string to his foot. So as he tapped his foot, they'd <laughs> they'd move in time of the music. And and he he knew the so much about blues music. He was crazy for the blues. He knew so much about it. Knew so many songs. wasn't the greatest musician you ever heard, but he just had this this passion and this enthusiasm. And he was spreading the word. He wanted everybody to love this music and understand it. So the toys were there if if he wanted kids to get into it, you know, and 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 enjoy it. But the the most extraordinary thing about him, and I tell everybody this when I introduced the song, was that he would also, amongst all the things that he had, he'd have a hamper of uh, sandwiches, some food that he'd bring from home, and that was for homeless kids and homeless folks. Very cool. And he'd, he'd look after them. He'd make sure that they were fed, and, and if they needed money, he'd make sure they they had something to get them by. Sounds like the Australian the Jesse day. Fuller. You guys right. can look up Jesse Fuller. Right, okay. Okay. <laughs> 
He tuned up his cheap Stratocaster guitar Slung it on his back Toting his battery-powered amplifier He rode his bicycle to Burke Street And he set up his equipment Playing his blues for survival And to pay the rent Brought food for the homeless And toys for the children Dealt today He sang songs of Kansas City And sweet home Chicago So far away His voice was like a whisper But his heart was like a mountain Delta day He made no judgment On the choices others made Happy for a dollar For the music that he played Took what he needed And he gave the rest away Delta day Nine, I guess he figured it was time He took one last ride To that big blues gig in the sky And the age ran a story About an angelic man Tried to cure the city's ills With his gypsy blues bands And the helpless and the homeless With his eulogy and chalk on the steps of his stage on the Swalston Street Walk And he venerated his name in the manner of a saint And if it wasn't too much, it was a little too late till today You talk about playing Europe. I mean, we have a venue. I, mm -hmm. I went to Europe with a musician, John Shane. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we uh, one of the stops in Norderstedt was a place called the Live Music Cafe. Hey, Wolfgang. Yeah, Wolfgang. Wolfgang. Great oh, guy. Oh man, hey, they man. they talk favorably about you. They couldn't wait till the next time you're coming back. Oh, I'd love to go back. Yeah, I'd love to go back. I did three tours in Germany, um, and uh, they were pretty extensive. We did did a lot of miles in that country. I really enjoyed it. I loved playing for the the people over there and. 
Uh, it was really fun, but unfortunately, coming from Australia, just economically, it's it's very difficult to make that that make sense. And uh, and with the with the current situation in the world, which has all been you know pretty crazy lately, so far as money markets and so on. Unfortunately, we're all affected by that. And you know, I I was a, a regular visitor to England as well, you know, touring the the British Isles and. I've got a band over there. I've got some very dear friends there, but I've, uh, yeah, I've also got a, a, a wife and a child. And understandable. And sadly, I've, I've got to bring home the bacon. <laughs> so yeah. it's just a bit difficult at the moment. But hopefully, we'll be able to, you know, get back on the, get back on the, uh, the truck. And what about right across the pond from you, yeah. Indonesia? I mean, it's, uh-huh. I mean, I, most people aren't going to think of rock and roll or blues going to Indonesia and Bali. But mm-hmm. when I was there, there's a lot, there's a small, small scene where mm-hmm. musicians go. I mean, did you ever pop over there and hang out in Bali I, and play some of those small little clubs? No, I've only been to Indonesia once and that was, was last year. Oh, it was the end of 2014. I think I went over there and that was for a, a private event. Somebody flew me over there and I, I, I played for this, uh, this one event um, and and there was a bar at the hotel, and I did go down. I sat in with the cover band. It was it, it was it, that was fun. But Indonesia's a, a um, I don't know. It's it's nearby, but it, its economy is completely different to ours. So it would be very difficult for. Be more, and, yeah, and, you're not going to go there to, to, to tour and make money. It's more you're going to go there and have a family vacation. And by the way, I'm going to go ahead and play these like, small little clubs. Um, <laughs> and photo ops. Yeah. yeah, I'm afraid I'm not at liberty to do that. Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds like fun, but I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd have to be able to afford to just take the time off to do it. Um, I have been to Thailand. We, we, were, we, we did work in Thailand for, we, we had a two-week contract at a club there that was owned it was owned by a european guy and he had deep pockets so he was he was able to you know pay our airfares and pay us a wage you know even that it's very difficult to make enough thai money <laughs> that uh that it actually equates to something meaningful in in australian dollars but um, but it, it was fun to do, and and we did treat that like a working holiday. But that was what offered to us. Generally, if you're going to go to, to to Southeast Asia, they'll want you to play all the hits, all the all the covers. There's some bands will go to certain hotels in, like five star hotels here and there. But but you've got to be doing, you've got to be doing all the hits, all the all the songs that everybody knows. All the knows. hits all the time. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, when uh, when I went to Europe with John Shane. The highest money gig was up in the Swiss Alps. Yeah, but that was the gig where they wanted yeah, the covers. That's the, yeah, that's it. But that, that was an anchor yeah. gig for the trip. So. Yeah, but we'll, look, we'll even find that, uh, yeah, in in Australia, most of the most of the work for for people playing um, uh, blues music is in the urban areas. So the further you go out into the countryside, there's a little bit. Like the states, I imagine there's yeah, country music is is the biggest scene there is. Well, that it, next it. to Western music, of course. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, both kinds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do okay. You know, I, I make I make a, a, an okay living. I've, I've been very, I count myself very lucky, very privileged to have been able to to uh, make a living as a as a musician for as long as I have, and and especially 
you know, playing you know, a lot of original music and and you know making my own records. This uh, is v- very kind of you to come on your night off yeah. on this tour. And for those of you the listeners out there, of course you can see a Links on our website, but Jeff, you are people can find you online at mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Atchison dot com, G E O F F, A C H I S O N. It's ridiculous spelling. <laughs> and for those with deep pockets, please brilliant productions. Find Nancy online and bring mm. Jeff to a city, a state, yeah. or a country, or a continent near you. Oh, brilliantproductions.com. I'll go anywhere. Yeah. Brilliantproductions.com. Actually, there's one thing you you like because you like when I'm wrong, right? I love when you're wrong. Nothing makes me more happy. Well, mm. nah, there's a few That's things. up there. Huh? That's up there. <laughs> your wife being, your wife and you getting along and me being wrong. Those are your two favorite things. I told you so. Yeah. <laughs> well, when he signed up with the Omens, Warren introduced him afterwards as Jeff Aitchison, and I've been saying all along that he mispronounced it, but apparently... Oh, right. wait a uh, second. Uh, that, he's, he's a smart guy. He, he pronounced it correctly. That's how the the family, my family, has always pronounced it Hson, and that's what uh, that was always my name when I was I was growing up. When I entered the, when I moved to town and I started playing gigs, and everyone's like, oh, "What's your name, kid? What's your name? What's your name?" Uh, people seem to struggle with Hson. They seem to be more comfortable saying Atchison. and it it I just got so tired of correcting mm-hmm. people, <laughs> and eventually I said, "Okay, it's Atchison, whatever." Yeah. I understand. You mm. know, I am Seth Weiner, but uh, ladies have always called me <laughs> Seth Weiner. <laughs> Two more things, and when we're done, there's this. Um, I was just talking with them before the interview about this thing called Salty Dog Blues and Roots. Uh huh. It's a guy out of Melbourne. Yep, I know that guy. Can you talk about how you initially met him? <laughs> uh, so I I came out of a, a hotel down in the parking lot to collect my car, and there's this great big uh, dent in the in the uh, side panel there and uh, so I'm kind of like what the but there was a note there very nice note there saying oh terribly sorry um, I seem to have hit your car but don't worry I'll take care of it here's my number so I called the number and uh, so we're chatting on the phone I'm talking to this guy Dennis and uh, uh, so he said yeah terribly sorry anyway well let's swap details so I tell him my name and he's, he's like Jeff Atchison and I'm like yeah He's like, the guitar player. I said, yeah, I play the guitar. And so and then he started telling me about his radio show and everything. So we not only organized to fix the car, we also organized for me to come into his show and, and do an interview. But he's, he's been running this internet radio show, Salty Dog Blues, for years. And uh, I think he, he... I don't know what he was doing for a job before that, Um but he was very interested in radio and he's, he's a blues enthusiast and he's, he's got listeners all over the world and he must have been one of the first dudes to do this. He set this up and he's, I just went to his apartment in Brighton, the suburb of Melbourne, and uh, there it is. It's all set up and I'm like, wow, so this is your job? He's like, yep, yep, this is what I do. I just want to return the, to the new album one last time because that mm. is... A large part of why you're here and why you're being generous with our time. It's again called Another Mile, Another Minute. You had an album called One Ticket, One Ride. Is yeah. there a relation? Well, as as I was searching around for titles, and this this the title of one of the songs, and it, and it did kind of strike me that well, yeah, and that was the last studio album. It was called One Ticket, One Ride, and so it's got the connection, kind of the connection with 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 
you know, travel and moving and the, the journey through life and and so on. And it's a similar collection of songs in that it's, it's somewhat eclectic. It's it's not exactly blues. It's not exactly this. Some of the some of the songs are, are you know, maybe a little flippant or or you know, a little tongue in cheek. You know, there's there's I write stuff that uh, there's a lot of the lyrics just shouldn't be taken too seriously and just having fun. Um, but the guys playing on the on the record are just magnificent musicians. They've just done a, a an amazing job. Uh, but one of the differences with One Ticket, One Ride is One Ticket, One Ride was recorded here in Atlanta, Georgia. The U.S. Soul Diggers. Yeah. So I, 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 uh, Falcon on drums, who's now with Tedeschi Trucks, mm-hmm. Ted Pecchio on bass. And from so, the camp of Colonel Bruce Hampton... Once again, yes, his influence yeah. extends everywhere. Yeah, it sure does. Um, and uh, and and this new record is is recorded in Melbourne with the the regular guys down there. Is there one song on it? We don't have anything to go off of. Is there one song on it you'd like to talk about as we close? Uh, now, well, I can tell you, there's a, there's a song on there called uh, uh, "I Wish You Were Mine," and it has a very Brief ode to the Waffle House on Exit One Twenty Nine. Oh, really? On I eighty five, which which, which is... his wife was really happy to hear about, <laughs> because at first she's like, "Excuse me, Jeff, you're not going to America, Jeff." She doesn't talk like that, I'm sure, but you know, to me, every woman's a Jewish yeah, woman, yeah, even in Australia. <laughs> well, well uh, she's a whiner too. Is she you know really? That? Yes, she is. She I is didn't indeed. Know that. Yeah. Is there so, a special lady at the Waffle House you're talking about? Uh, well, that's kind of what the song's about, but it's, it's a complete uh, uh, fabrication of, of of the truth. They're just words that worked well. Uh, but the, but that particular Waffle House was where we would often uh, pick up the bass player Dave Tunkel when he Tunkel. was. Tunkel, so I was going to talk about yeah. Tunkel earlier because yeah. the, talking about the Oliver Wood, yeah. Tunkelwood. Tunkelwood. Uh, yeah. That was it's for for those listening. You have to understand there's there's a coffee shop in Decatur, mm. Georgia called Java Monkey, and mm-hmm. Oliver and Tunkel would play all of the yeah. music that you now hear Oliver play. Yeah, but, that's right. All those tunes. Be, yeah. That's where I, I'm pretty sure that's where I met Nancy. But this was, mm. I mean, playing with the Wood Brothers. Now he means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, back in the day, like then back in the day, I'm talking what eight years ago. This yeah. would happen, and yeah. it would be some of the best music I ever heard. And that's yeah. a, just to prove to the point, you don't know. It's yeah. not always about going to the paid shows. Now, granted, for the musicians, I yeah. want people to go to the paid shows. Of course. But there's so yeah. many things happening out there oh, that yeah. you some, just got to dig the, around a little bit and Some see. of the best nights of music are in the, the, just the smallest little little places, nice little intimate venues. And you just, I, I remember going to Java Mike. That was the first time that I saw Oliver play. And like I said, I was already a fan. And I've, I've gone in there and like... Wow, he's playing here. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it, yeah, he played. Yeah, Dave Tunkel was the bass player, and I got to know Tunkel as well. And he played bass uh, many times with the Soul Diggers. But yep, we used to meet at the at the the Waffle House in One Twenty Nine. We'd pick him up there and drop him off there on our way back. Well, smothered, covered, and mm-hmm. not chicken and eggs, dry wheat toast, scattered, scattered, <laughs> scattered, smothered, and what's the peppered one? Peppered. That's it. That's You're it, kids. Listening you kids to listen Turner at home. on Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Thank you, Jeff, so much for being here. We Thanks really enjoyed having me. you. It was really fun. Thanks. Danger Will Robinson. Yeah, we're going on exit, tw- exit 129. All right. Thanks for listening.
was the virtuoso Jeff Atchison taking a, a very generous amount of time. It was filmed in our secret location that we're actually in right now. Filmed. It was filmed. Don't 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 say don't ever say where you're doing this stuff. It was this filmed. is art. What? You said it was filmed. It was recorded. <laughs> it was recorded. It was recorded at the end of the day, too, by the way. It really was at the end of the day on that one. It really was. <coughs> uh, by the way, you heard us mention that he signed in with the Almond Brothers Band. That's a Beacon Theater, March 17th, 2012, if you want to go find it. Available that. on archive.org, I believe. You all right? I think Rob's dying, folks. You all yeah, right I'm there? S- I'm sick. I'm playing hurt. Are you seriously sick? Well, Coffee you don't right want to tell the me. story, do you? No, fans don't want to hear this. No, I was just—I didn't ask for the story. Just fans. Asking, what am I saying? I hate it when musicians call their, the, their, their people fans. You know what I mean? Even musicians I really admire when they call me a fan, it's like. Argh. And whenever I guest did that about someone who, well, I don't. <laughs> it's weird when a musician refers to their. Don't refer to your people as fans. R- listeners, our listeners. Why? Why are you staring at me like that? Because you are a fan. Of. You're a fanboy. Uh, whatever. I just I shouldn't come from the musician of which you're a fan of. It should come from other people like you, oh, uh, who are jealous because they're mired in having to work in the industry and they don't know how to let themselves go and really uh, un- unleash at a show and lock in and be one with the music. Lock in. Ah, lock in. We're going. We're going. We'll be there. Watch it's out, folks. We're going to be there, and we're looking to interview some folks as well. So if you see us, come. Say hi, and we'll interview you. It's consuming my life in a very big way, in a in a great way. Tom Hamilton, you mentioned we're going to get him, so I went and listened to a bunch of. I'm, I'm really reliving the Brothers Past. Ah, uh, yeah, love what that a, band. Yeah, um, didn't realize realize how much the American Babies had out, and there's some interesting stuff to talk with Tom Hamilton about. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, Brandy Carlisle turned us down, but I'm not. Others, she have, didn't turn us down. Well, her, her people did. I want to talk to Brandy Carlisle. She's such a great artist, and. Um, Right and uh, let's see who else. Oh, hardworking Americans! I, I'm bathing myself in Todd Snyder podcasts well, songs. Listen, Rob, he is he is a really interesting character, man. If you stay in town, we can get much more in depth interview with them here in Atlanta as opposed to just a couple minutes. Oh, at on the twentieth, and go yeah. to the Buckhead Theater for them when yeah. I could see him in Birmingham and see Humphreys of the Symphony on the twentieth. Come on, we'll be, with Tom, we'll find a place to sit down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will. But Todd, we might not get as much time as you want with Todd. We'll see. We're going to do Festy Flash Chats. We're offering to do the longer, more full episode type of thing, and we'll just read and react and have a good time. Mm-hmm. Robert Kwan's coming. Josh Dane. I wish Brian was coming, too, but he's working hard. and He's um, a hard-working American, that Brian. <laughs> he is more so than anybody in that band. <laughs> Brian really, really, really works hard. No, that's about it, my friend. Uh, some other stuff coming up. The you know fall the fall schedules all for all the venues are starting to pop up, and there's ah oh, it's killing me because like all these dates are coming through Atlanta, like David Grisman, and well there's others too that that, uh, that government mule etc. That that I would really like to to interview Martin Sexton. There's just there's so much coming through that I'm out of town for that there are stuff that we are in town for, such as the Wood Brothers. We're hoping to be able to get on uh, a lockdown for an interview as well as drive by truckers. You know why I love Oliver Wood. One of my favorite expressions, the music likers. Ah, uh, yes. People yes. go to shows, and God bless them for supporting music, but they don't really pay attention to the show. Those are the music likers at best. Uh, also, you mentioned drive-by truckers. Usually they play Thanksgiving, so I have to miss them because I'm with the family, and they're playing a week before. And Dylan is at Fort Myers the next night, which is right near where my dad lives. I might go truckers Dylan, and that'll be my one Dylan show. I'd like to uh, see Dylan. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah, I, I would too. I mean, it's, it's Bob Dylan. Still no word... 
on whether or not he's going to be with a rock band or his regular thing at Desert right, Trip. Right, but but whatever he's doing at Desert Trip, this the, he's going to complete the uh, this the band that what I read is the band oh. that, that, that that's going to be a continuation. Okay, of I, didn't, the band. I didn't read that. Okay. I could be wrong. I, w- I, I, I could see knowing Dylan. I could see him throwing together a rock band, doing a rock, or doing a rock show with with this band. I guess he did that in Europe. He was doing the the mellow show, and then you know a couple times in Poland. I mentioned it on a previous episode. He he like went all rock and then mm-hmm. went back to his regular show. So maybe maybe he'll do that. Maybe. I don't know. He's a he's an enigma. That Bob, or as jambands.com always says, he's the bard. He's a bard. So uh, I don't know. This is just funny talking about missing interviews because I'm going to be out of town. My wife just texted me, hey, what if next year, since Daryl's going to be in between schools, because he's, he'll be four, so he's not quite, you know, he's pre-K at that time. She's like, what if we just plan a year in Mexico? A year in Mexico? What is she thinking? See, Amy has traveled the world and is a very uh, world-aware, how, how do you, world-wary person. Worldly, yeah. Yeah, she's worldly. extremely worldly, and, and I could see her getting an itch and getting the bug to, to travel. I mean, she's oh, done it a lot a lot of her life and done it well. Traveling is one thing, but, uh, I mean, listen, if I was her parents retiring in Mexico, that's fine, but, right. you know, but, right. like, right now, like, no, like, no, I don't know. She, she's, just she's, stay on the horse and, and, and yeah. focus, yeah, go, but she go gotta straight get ahead. Back on, she got to get just back on the horse. Just stay on the horse, Amy, and, and just straight ahead, full <laughs> steam ahead. <laughs> she is recovering, by the way. She's pretty much fully recovered, so I anticipate her getting back on the horse before locking. <sighs> yeah, I know. Insurance... Uh, all right. Well, hey, everyone, just a quick reminder, if you've made it this far, again, thank you. Uh, but please, if you like our show, when you go to iTunes, please uh, give it a rating, write a review. And don't be afraid to share. If you're on social media, tw- retweet us. Go ahead and uh, post your favorite parts of your show. If you go to SoundCloud, you can actually highlight uh, different sections and create a dialogue with other listeners and, and share like you know moments that you like. And you know some people are doing that. They're mentioning things about different songs and what have you. So please, by all means. And if you don't like us, wh- why are you still listening? And thank you for listening. This oh is, wait, we got two. Oh, wait, we got what? the last two songs. We got the last two songs that Jeff did just for us, right in our face. Yeah. We're just starting to like that, right? Now we've had Kevin, Jeff, and Sam Bush playing right in our face, and that's that's amazing. All right, Rob. So if you hear us tumbling, don't <laughs> worry. This is not an earthquake. It is Rob and his girth hitting the table. And the last one is uh, Electric Jeff Atchison yes. with the Soul Diggers. Yeah, that was. Thank you for pulling that one. That together it was for Nancy Lewis Bega. We didn't mention oh, her. No, thank you, Nancy. We love Nancy. We've known her for a long time, and she really goes bad for her artist as a, as a big-hearted soul. And uh, one more thing, take one, it. One more thing. Close uh, us up, Seth. Close it up by letting you know as we shut down this recording, uh, we are finalizing the next recording, which is with Simon Allen of the New Master Sounds. We have all the music, uh, everything ready to go. So this one's going to be cut and. Uh, will be released a couple days after this one. So we're trying to get back into a weekly rotation for you all. Uh, and, yeah, with that, uh, we, we hope you enjoy the uh, tunes here. And thanks again for listening. And Rob Turner. Back to my sickbed. I quit my drinking I gave up them cigarettes I even stopped my cussing, baby And placing football bets I ain't looking at women If you know what I mean And I ain't been high since I don't know 
need a new bad habit now Yeah, I need a new bad habit now, baby And I need a new I'm as clean as a whistle Now I got the healthy routine You know I part my hair in the middle Baby I iron a crease in my jeans So I'm ready to party Long as I'm home by ten Yeah I be sipping on mineral water Snacking on an aubergine I need a new bed habit now Just some fix to make my brain go wild, baby And I need a new Oh, bad heaven, come on On the straight and narrow Yeah, but I'm still a rebel inside You know I snuck a whole sugar cube Into my herbal tea last night I was double dipping In the chicken liver pates I took my smartphone out at dinner And I sat there checking my Facebook page mm. I need a new bad habit, honey Got to get that buzz, yeah I don't know how Ooh.
We're back in ancient history When the world had just begun Some people got a gift of the gab People got a fix of the fab Some people got all the fog I just wanna be that smooth I just wanna get that groove I just wanna hit the dance floor Maybe even bust a move But I can count from one to four And I can count from four to one But I just ain't got that funk Some people have all the fun Some people's got all the funk Guess some people have all the fun Some people's got all the funk Put the downbeat on the one Lay the groove with the bass and drum Tune into that other place Get your inner monkey going on You know we tried to analyze it Down at the iPhone lab We even tried to synthesize it Now I got a little smartphone app I got the riffs from a website link I tried to think like a funkster things But I still ain't got that funk Some people have all the fun Some people's got all the funk I guess some people have all the fun mm-hmm. Some people's got all the fun Talk about Larry Graham and Bootsy Collins, Professor Longhair and Dr. John. You getting off when you get them down. You getting on when they get it on. Went on down Louisiana to the city of New Orleans. Working out on the old piano. I heard the spaces in between. So you can count from one to four. And you can count from four to one Yeah, but you just gotta feel that funk mm. Some people have all the fun Some people's got all the funk I guess some people have all the fun Some people's got all the fun Some people have all the fun Some people's got all the funk I guess some people have all the fun 
some people's got all the fun.
Thank you.